Well, good morning. Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study. I'm pleased to be here with you today. Thank you very much for joining with us. We are in the 12th class in our series that I've called Prophet. So today I have an idea. I want to cover some things with you that um, will involve quite a few scriptures. Some of you are saying, well, that's nothing new. But we're going to be going on a deep dive. And, and what this class does is it puts together quite a bit from what you've learned in the past few weeks. So we're going to be taking a look at, in class 12 of our prophet series, at a subject that I've titled, The Gospel... You're in the right place. Relax. The gospel of Isaiah. The gospel of Isaiah. So let me do a little bit of explaining up front. When I say gospel, uh, this term is generally understood to refer to the work of later authors. You know, most people, when they hear the term gospel, they certainly aren't going to immediately associate it with uh, Yeshiau, with Isaiah. They're going to think of several other, the evangelists, the writers of Christian writings and so forth. Uh, Generally, the term gospel is associated with the good news, right? People think of that's the gospel, that's the good news. Uh, It comes from the Old English. Our English word gospel comes from the Old English gospel, and uh, it does have this connotation of good news. So really, what I'm doing in assigning the title, the Gospel of Isaiah, is I'm playing off of a term that you're familiar with, uh, because I think that it's quite essential to, uh, to associate the, the listener's mind with something with which they're familiar, and then show them where uh, it contrasts with what you are familiar with. Uh, Several years ago in 2015, I gave a talk at United Israel World Union Conference, and this idea, I was looking for something else this week, and I came across this old lecture, and it was called something like how the evangelical message of the Hebrew Bible has the power to change the world. That may not be exact, but it was something to that effect. Uh, And so that formed the initial getting the wheels turning early in the week. You know, I started thinking about that class and I thought, you know, I could really take this in a different direction than I did in 2015 and focus specifically on some things that are relevant to our current study from the prophet Isaiah's works. So, uh, but when I talk about the gospel of Isaiah, some of you might be wondering, wow, is he going to reveal some hidden scroll, some newly discovered fragment uh, that's called the gospel of Isaiah? Uh, Actually, this gospel has been there all along. The gospel of Isaiah has not only been here all along, but it predates any other gospel that you may have read in your life at any time. 
most people associate, like I mentioned, uh, the Greek word evangel when they hear the English word uh, gospel. But I want you to begin thinking Hebraically, so I want to give you a new word. Now, in Hebrew, the word that I plan to develop in this teaching is the Hebrew word basar, basar, bet sin resh, basar. We're going to develop this fully. This word occurs in various uh, forms throughout the Hebrew Bible, 24 times we get this Hebrew word, Beit Sin Resh. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these. I'll probably stop at like 23. No, I'm going to go through quite a few of them because I want to establish the meaning of the Hebrew word Basar, and then I'll develop that to share with you this good news according to Isaiah. Everybody ready? All right. So, the Hebrew term basar does mean news, or it's used at times to indicate one who bears news or tidings. Now, it doesn't always have to be good news. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Hebrew Bible. Uh, this is uh, various, these passages that I'm going to go through now cover this idea of news or bearing good news or news in general. Go with me to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I just want to go through a few of these to establish the point. Uh, 1 Samuel 4 and verse 17. In the English, now this is the Koran text that I'm reading, it says, And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Palestine, and there has been also a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Pinchas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. Now, that's not good news, is it? But in the Hebrew, it says, Vayan hambaser, and he answered the messenger. In other words, the messenger answered or the one who is bearing the news gave an answer. Okay, so I just want to show you our word, baser. It's one who brings news. Doesn't have to be good news, right? Okay, let's go through a few more. Uh, 1 Samuel, go to chapter 31. 1 Samuel 31 and uh, verse 9. I want to go through a few of these. Verse 9 says... Uh, and they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent into the land of Palestine round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. Again, not good news, right? You know the context here is about it follows the battle with Saul and his sons, and this is an abuse of the corpse of Saul that it's talking about. But where it says, uh, and they stripped him of his armor and sent in the land of the Plishtim round about to publish in the house of the idols, it's libaser, to publish, to carry the news forward. All right. Uh, let me look at a couple more with you. Go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, in fact, let's just do one more. 2 Samuel 18. 
um, verse 26. 2 Samuel eighteen twenty-six, And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running along, alone. And the king said, He also brings news. Now, if you go down to verse 31, uh, and behold, the Cushite came, the Cushite said, Tidings, my lord, the king, for Jehovah has avenged thee this day of all those who rose up against thee. So these, uh, you'll notice that it's translated variously, an announcer, uh, one who brings tidings, uh, a publisher, but the idea is that news is brought forward. But what I want to do today is I want to focus on the use of this particular word, basar, in various forms as it is used in what we call Deutero or Second Isaiah. So if you look at the text of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, and when I talk about Deutero-Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, it's the way that scholars call that portion of Isaiah from chapter 40 through 66. Uh, we're going to get into why is it called that. We're going to take this down that path later. But for the time being, just understand that we're dealing with a section of Isaiah's prophecies from chapter 40 through the end of that work. And we're focusing only on this particular word. Now, I mentioned in a Facebook post that I put out yesterday to advertise this class that we, some of us, James and I and some of the others uh, that have been around for a long time, uh, Mark is here, he, he's been with us through some of this. We've been looking at these texts for decades now. But it's only now in these classes that I'm beginning to share these things publicly uh, because I think it's important and I think the, uh, the people who join us every week are fully engaged and ready to go down this path and really look at the deeper things of the prophets. So the class today is not only picking up this idea of the gospel of Isaiah, but it's... Uh, it's building on what we have covered over the previous several classes, particularly when we're talking about redemptive figures. You know, this multiplicity or complexity of figures that the prophets speak of. Most people would just generally refer to these collectively as messianic passages, but as I've pointed out, most of them don't even employ, don't even use, don't even use the, the word Messiah. So I prefer to call it redemptive figures. In this particular study, we're going to look at a, a new figure for some of you. Uh, and this figure that we're going to talk about today is the bearer of good news the bearer of good news. You might even call this person, this redemptive figure that we're going to study today, the gospel bringer. Not sure that's correct English, but the gospel bringer, the one who brings the gospel. We could refer to this redemptive figure as a harbinger. 
you know, this term, the harbinger. We could say uh, that this person is the herald of tidings uh, or, or possibly the announcer. But the person that we're going to talk about today from Deuteroisaiah is, you could say a messenger, but it's not the Hebrew word for messenger. We're going to focus on this idea of a harbinger or one who brings forth the message. Now, there are four main texts in Isaiah that give us what we know about this figure. I'm going to approach this in a very methodical way. Now, I know that a lot of people who listen to me are going to want to get ahead and say, oh, you know, and help me out here. Be careful because this is going to be a loaded class. So the first, just so all of my very, you know, I have a lot of teachers that listen too who are going to be inclined to get ahead. I'm going to touch the text first. All I'm going to do is read the four texts, but I'm not going to provide any context because I'm going to do it purposefully. I want you to just hear the, the, the information, and I'm not going to give you, and then I'm going to go to the next one, and I'm going to cover, and then I'm going to go back and really explore these texts. Is that fair? So stick with me on this. Go with me this morning first thing to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 40, and I want to just pick up one verse, not looking at context, we're not studying around it, I want you to go to 40, Isaiah 40, and verse 9. Now, I'm going to read the English, and then later when we study it deeper, we'll go in and pull out some Hebrew things that are very important. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Thou that bringest good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountain. Thou that bringest good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now go to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, you see how I'm not even explaining that? I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to move to the next. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 27. A harbinger to Zion will I give. Behold, behold them, and to Jerusalem a messenger of good tidings. Got that? Now, your task at the end of the class is going to be to, dis- to determine who I'm talking about. It's like a riddle. Who is this? But don't do it yet because you're going to mess up. You're not going to get it right. Now, go with me to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful or lovely... I like lovely is actually a better translation. How lovely upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that announces peace, that brings good tidings of good, 
that announces salvation that says to Zion, your God reigns. You got that one? Now, look, if you're, if you're following this class today, your, your assignment at the end is like we've done over the past few. I'm going to give you four texts, just four, and you're going to list them out in columns, one, two, three, four. So your paper at the top will have Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse uh, 41, 27, uh, Isaiah 52, 7 in column number 3, and column number 4 is Isaiah 61, 1. Very easy. And then you're just going to put all the clues together, and there you have it. So go to Isaiah 61. This is column 4 in your notes, and I'm going to read verse 1. Here we go. The Spirit of Adonai Jehovah is upon me, because Jehovah has anointed me to announce good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and it continues. We'll pick that up in just a moment. Okay, so these are our four texts. These are the the primary text that deal with the gospel bringer or the bearer of good news. Now, who's ready to unpack some of this? This is a lot to unpack. You know, I, I thought about bringing in some more text, uh, but I think this will be sufficient for one Saturday morning. This will keep you busy for a week. It allow me to do other things, and then I'll come back next week, and we'll put another class together. So go back with me, please, uh, to Isaiah 40. Now, Isaiah 40, as I announced earlier, uh, begins a very interesting, in fact, I would say, the most significant portion of prophetic text in all the Hebrew Bible. I think if you want to study the Akarita Yamim, the latter days, the Olam Haba, the world to come, if you really want to really get into eschatology, the study of end times things from a biblical perspective, you need to really immerse yourself in Isaiah 40 through 66. This is the, the king section of the book. I mean, you, you've got to really understand this. Um, because it fills in a lot of the details. Now, many of the details that are contained between Isaiah 40 through 66, I think, are, are often missed. They're certainly misunderstood, and they're frequently misapplied, meaning people will look at these texts, they don't really understand them, they, and it partly is because they're relying on faulty English translations but they base their beliefs or their understanding, their theology on English text from Isaiah 40 through 66, and it's just not the same. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack these verses beginning uh, with the sections that I just covered, okay? So let's begin in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, one thing I want to do, even though I've mentioned it in previous classes, I want to demonstrate for you the, the white spaces 
in the Hebrew and kind of lay out the groundwork for what's to follow. So beginning Isaiah 40, verse 1. Now, right before Isaiah 40, verse 1, there's a white space. Now, here we go. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. In Hebrew, nachamu, nachamu ami. Says your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her war service is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she is received of Jehovah's hand double for all her sins. White space. Now, we're not pulling this apart yet, but I want you to think, who is speaking to whom? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Who is the speaker and and to what person is this being addressed? But let's keep going. Verse 3. A voice cries. Panuderic, prepare in the wilderness the way of Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, does that not indicate that God is coming? Right? Make a highway for God. Okay, get ready. Every valley shall be exalted. Every every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of Jehovah shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of Jehovah has spoken it. White space. These are like glimpses. You know, I've described it the way uh, James Tabor told me one time in a conversation. It's like you're watching a play. It's very quiet. It's dark in the auditorium and the curtain opens up. And you hear, Nakamu, Nakamu, Ami. And then the curtain closes. And then the curtain opens. A voice cries. You know, in the crowd, can you imagine you're sitting? We ought to do that one day. We'll just do this. We'll act it out. Now we go to the third act. You that bring good tidings. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I skipped one. A voice cries. Cry. And he said, what should I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its grass is as the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of Jehovah blows upon it. Surely the people is like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. White space. Curtain opens back up. You that bring good tidings to Zion... Get thee up into the high mountain. You that bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, Adonai Jehovah will come with might. Who's coming? And his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his hire before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. White space. 
Now, I wanted to make uh, a point. Uh, let's let's build off of this. We're we're going to mainly focus here on Isaiah forty verses nine through eleven. It begins literally. Look, in in my English, it says, you that bring good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountain. Let me tell you, in Hebrew, it says, al har gaboa. So here's the way it really sounds. Up in a high mountain. It's it's, It's a command to the person who is bearing the good news. Now, the mountain is not specified. In other words, we're trying to figure out who this is talking to and where this is going to take place. But it just says, which is upon a high mountain, but the mountain is not specified. We don't know. Now, this phrase, al-har-gaboa, appears six times in the Hebrew Bible, and I'm not going to bring you through all of those texts, but let me tell you this, none of them identify the mountain uh, any more clearly than this text. In fact, several of the passages talk about, they use this phrase, al-har-gaboa, uh, to refer to you, you sacrificed on every high hill. Alhar Gaboa. But this is uh, this seems to be a specific place. So Isaiah uses the phrase three times, uh, Jeremiah uses it once, and Ezekiel uses it twice. None of them give us any more information. Now I want to bring out a few points from the grammar. Because remember, in your first column you have Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. You're going to try to figure out who is this messenger. And what what clues do we have? Here here are a couple of things, just for your notes, where it says, go up for yourself. The command to this person is all in the feminine. Hmm. Is that a clue? It's imperative in the grammar. It's a command, basically. Go up for yourself. It's all feminine. Where it says Mavatseret Sion uh, in Hebrew, that's you that bring good tidings to Zion. The one who brings good tidings is in Hebrew Mavatseret. You hear our word Baser, Mavatseret. In Hebrew, that phrase that we're looking at, the one who bears good tidings is part of that Mavatseret Sion. You who bring good tidings, a herald, if you will, a harbinger. And this is, uh, again, I don't want to go too far into the Hebrew, but, but basically this is in the construct. It means the, the one who brings the good tidings of Zion, right? Some translations say you who bring tidings to Zion, but it's, this is like the good news of Zion right here. Now, further, this one is commanded, uh, the English says, lift up your voice. That's a good translation. It's exalt your voice to be, make your voice high. You know, it, it means to lift it up, to exalt the voice, 
So like you would say, whatever you're, they're going to say, they have to do it in a loud voice. They're already all har Gaboa on a high mountain. So it's like they're looking out with good news of Zion and they're going to make a proclamation. Right? You follow me so far? Now, also where it says exalt your voice, feminine, feminine, singular. Now, I have to ask you, is this a clue? Is the person being addressed a woman? If it were addressing a man, would it read differently? So this is, again, exalt your voice, mavatzeret sion. And then there is a break in the verse, not a white space, but uh, a couple of weeks ago I told you about the grammatical sign, the atnak, which means to break it in the middle. Exalt, feminine singular, meaning exalt your voice. Don't fear, feminine singular. Say, feminine singular. Now, some of you might think, wow, why are we doing all this? Because I want to pay close attention to what the grammar tells us, what the language is saying. Is this an indicator that the one speaking is not necessarily what we envisioned? Consider it. Now, what is the message of this uh, messenger, this herald, this harbinger. The messenger's message is this. Your God reigns. So here this person is supposed to raise their voice, don't be afraid, and make this proclamation, your God reigns. Everybody with me so far? Now look at verse 10 of chapter 40. In verse 10, it says very clearly, Behold, Adonai Jehovah is coming in strength. Adonai Jehovah. Now most people's eschatology does not speak of a coming of God. They generally talk about a Messiah that's coming, right? A figure that's coming, a messianic ruler. But this says very clearly, Behold, Adonai Jehovah is coming in strength. The announcement is not, Behold, your Messiah comes to you. Right? That's not the message. The message is Adonai Jehovah is coming. Remember in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, it says, Panuderic Yehovah, prepare the way of Jehovah, make a highway for our God. This is not the coming of a messianic figure. This is prepare yourselves because God's coming. Now, a lot of people, your theological uh, warning signals are going off. No, wait a minute. We believe that God is this, this, and this. God's not coming. We're not going to see God. This is, you, know. you have all these theological things. Look, here's what you do with those theological things. You take them, you close them up, and you put them on a shelf and leave them there. And listen to the text. What we need to do is focus on what do the texts say. 
let's build what it is that we know and understand and believe based on the text, not on what some people might say the text says. You have eyes, you have ears, you, you can see it and hear it very clearly. What is it that's being spoken of in this particular passage? It says, further, Adonai Jehovah is coming. His arm will rule for him. Now, what is that? The arm. Who is the arm of Jehovah? Remember, if you study Isaiah, you'll notice that the arm of Jehovah is mentioned in other places. Isaiah 52 and 53, which talks about the servant. To whom has the arm of Jehovah been revealed? Well, it's another figure. It's another study. It's another class. It's another Saturday. But you see, it says his arm will rule for him. So we don't even know who the arm is. And today, we're not even going to touch it. Well, we touch it, but we're going to keep moving. Um, And his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now, this part, get this part. As one shepherding his flock shepherds, this is literally what the Hebrew says, as one shepherding his flock shepherds, so you ought to have an image now of a shepherd. In his arms he will gather lambs, and in his bosom he will lift them, nursing ones he will lead. Now, this is an interesting passage because we we shift all the sudden uh, we shift all the sudden into the imagery of a shepherd. Now, I'm I'm going to go back and forth. The reason there's a method to the madness. There was a reason for demonstrating and going through various classes leading up to this. Remember the ruler from Beit Lechem Ephratah, from Micah five. Notice in Micah 5, it says that he will stand as a shepherd. Here we've got a figure who's also, as one shepherding his flock, shepherds in his arms, he will gather lambs, and then you see, so that imagery. So if you've got your column here on your paper, if you're a good student, and you have Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, you ought to have a little notation that says, ooh, go see Micah 5. Put in parentheses, shepherd. You might also put Genesis 49, 24, and you know, a few other passages. But the idea is that you want to begin to connect these various prophetic passages to help us to better identify the person uh, that we're looking for. Now, just to demonstrate how these white spaces work in the Hebrew Bible, I want to read Isaiah 40, verse 11 again, and then I want to move into 12 and show you the drastic shift in thought. This is why it's important. A lot of people would pick up Isaiah 40 and read the whole chapter and not distinguish between the different prophetic scenarios that are captured here. So here's 40, verse 11. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. White space. Now watch this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance 
You see how it shifts? We're talking about a shepherd. We're, we're going into all this detail about a shepherd, and then there's a white space, and then it shifts and begins talking about who is this that doesn't mean they're not connected, but it shows that they're a separate part of the prophetic utterance here. Okay. Now that we've covered Isaiah 40 and verses 9 through 11, this pericope, this section of text, now I want you to turn to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. And I want to read verses 7 through 10. These are contained within the white spaces. Isaiah 52, verse 7 through 10. How lovely upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that announces peace, that brings good tidings of good, that announces salvation, that says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen is heard. They lift up the voice together. They shall sing for they shall see eye to eye Jehovah returning to Zion. Interesting passage. Break forth into singing, into joy. Sing together, O waste places of Jerusalem. For Jehovah has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. Jehovah has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Now, you're, you ought to be making all kind of connections with this that I just read. It, it ties in with many things. But I want to focus your energy, your focus, your attention on this phrase, how lovely upon the mountains are the feet of one bearing tidings causes to be heard peace. Now, remember in Isaiah 40 where it said, uh, Alhar Gaboa, on a high mountain? So, the, the one who brings forth good tidings is to do it from a high mountain. It's only natural that that one's lovely feet are on a mountain. You see the connection? That's where the feet are going to be. Now, this phrase is found... Can you hold your hand here? Now, you're going to... This might get a little more difficult as we go, but hold your hand here in Isaiah... And go to the prophet Nahum. Nahum uh, chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2. And verse 1. Or in, in English, I think it's chapter 1 verse 15 of the prophet Nahum. Nahum chapter 2 verse 1 or 115 in the English. Here we go. Behold... Upon the mountains, the feet of him that brings good tidings, that announces peace. Now, this phrase is identical to the one, or a part of this phrase, I should say, is identical to the one described in Isaiah 52, 7. The part of the phrase which is identical is upon the mountains the feet of one bearing tidings causing to be heard peace. Now, that's a lot of similarity. 
to have that much of a phrase repeated word for word, letter for letter in Isaiah 52, 7 and Nahum chapter 2, it makes me think that these two are associated. Now, in Isaiah 52, 7, it says that the feet are lovely. How lovely are the feet? And in Nahum chapter 2, it just says, behold the feet. Nahum is not so, I guess, inclined to compliment the feet. But he notices the feet. But then after, I want you to understand, we're not going to do this today, but Nahum chapter 2 which begins with this, behold the feet of the one upon the mountains, the feet of one bearing good tidings. Following that, that if you look at the white spaces, if you follow that prophetic passage, goes all the way from chapter 2, verse 1 of Nahum, all the way down to verse 14 of chapter 2. In other words, to build this out, to really understand who's being described here, you would need to read Nahum chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through verse 14. But do you see how I've connected Isaiah 52 and Nahum chapter 2? Now go back with me to Isaiah 52, 7. In chapter 52, verse 7 of Isaiah, it picks up one who is bearing the good tidings, causing to be heard salvation. This one is going to say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, I would like you to put in your notes that this is an announcement of, let's call it the kingdom of God. You can see how I make that connection. The reign of God is the kingdom of God. So our gospel message now has got a focus on the kingdom of God, right? You're going to follow me as I build this gospel text because we're going to need to really get this down. Now, in verses 8 through 10, that section which is separated off by white spaces What I don't want you to miss is that this particular passage describes the second, uh, or let me not get ahead, let's just say the coming of God to Zion, not a Messiah. Now go with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 And we're going to pick this up at verse 1. Now, by the way, this section goes from Isaiah 61.1 all the way through verse 9. We're not going to unpack all of that. That's a lot. We're just going to pick up a little bit of it at the beginning. The spirit of Adonai Jehovah is upon me because Jehovah has anointed me And then it continues. So I want to focus there for a minute. In Hebrew, Ruach Adonai Yehovah, the spirit of Lord Jehovah is upon me. The question is, who is speaking? I mean, is it obvious who's speaking? 
It doesn't say thus says so-and-so or, you know, it's, so there's a question mark there. But let's keep reading. Uh, The spirit of Adonai Jehovah is upon me because Jehovah has anointed me. Now, the speaker here is technically and biblically a Messiah. How do I know that? Whoever is speaking here says that they are anointed. The speaker here says, Jehovah has anointed me. Now, notice this anointed one is not anointed with oil as in your typical king or prophet-making anointing ceremony. The spirit of Jehovah is upon this one. This is one who is speaking, first person as being anointed by the Spirit of Jehovah. Whoever this is, very, very important. Now, you need to remember this passage uh, because a lot of people will miss this. Now, you know, I've covered this idea of Messiah, and there are a lot of Messiahs, if you will, a lot of kings, a lot of priests, a lot of prophets who have been anointed. But this is a unique case. This is a unique case. Why so? The Spirit of Jehovah has anointed the speaker. And what I love about this text is you have first-person material here from one who is anointed by the Spirit of Jehovah. Now, the question is, why is this person anointed? And for what purpose? That's important. A Messiah, one who is anointed, is anointed for a reason. What's the reason? Well, in this case, in this particular person, we have that the person is anointed to bear tidings of poor ones. Like most people say, uh, uh, good news or gospel to the poor. But the word to is not in there. It's just the gospel of poor ones. Uh, This person speaking first person says, I've been sent to bind up the shattered of heart. Now, in this sense, binding up has to do with like uh, bandages. So uh, this person is, is applying bandages, if you will, to those whose hearts are shattered. All right. Now, if you look down, the person also tells us that they are to cry or to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom or release to ones that are tied up. So this is going to be a a person, an anointed one, who frees those who are in bondage. Further, the mission of this anointed one is to cry, proclaim a year of favor for Jehovah, a day of vengeance for our God, and to comfort all who mourn. Now, comfort all who mourn. You remember Isaiah 40? Go back to Isaiah 40. I know we're going deeper into the text, but you'll follow if you look at these 
We want to look this, whoever this figure is in Isaiah 61, who's anointed for those reasons we just listed, one of those is to comfort the mourning ones. Isaiah 40 begins, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. So is the person in Isaiah 41, 40, verse 1, is that the one who is described here as the anointed one of Isaiah 61? Okay. Now there's one more verse that we've got to unpack a little bit. Go to Isaiah 41 and verse 27. 41. Verse 27. Again, the English says, A harbinger to Zion will I give. Behold, behold them, and to Jerusalem a messenger of good tidings. You can read over that. Just kind of go through it quickly. And you might miss something. Very interesting. In Hebrew, it says this. Are you paying attention? A first one to Zion. Behold, behold them. And to Jerusalem, one bearing tidings I give. A first one to Zion. Behold, behold them. Now the question is, why is this plural? Behold, a first one to Zion, behold, behold them. Translations are all over the place on this particular passage. They just, it's not that the translators all of a sudden don't know Hebrew. It's just complex. Like, if God is sending a first one to Zion... Why doesn't it say, behold, behold him? Why does it indicate more than one? You ever notice that? If your translations falter, you certainly wouldn't notice it. Okay, look at verse 4 of Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, 4. Who has wrought and done it? He who caused the generations from the beginning. I, Jehovah, the first and with the last, I am he. I, Jehovah, the first and with the last, I am he. Now look, that's close. It's close. Your translation might read something different. Let me tell you what it actually says. It says, I am Jehovah, a first one, and with the last ones, I am he. Now we've got a little bit more of a difficulty because now we have Jehovah saying, I am Jehovah, a first one, and with the last ones, I am he. Now look at Isaiah 44. Somebody texted me a minute ago and said they're going to have to look at the notes on this one. It's okay. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says Jehovah, 
Thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Jehovah of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Now, thus says Jehovah, King of Israel, and his Redeemer. In Hebrew, it's Goel. Goel is Redeemer. We're going to get into this in the next few classes. But here's what he says. I am a first one, it's Jehovah speaking, and I am a last one, and beside me, no God. Jehovah speaking, and Jehovah says, I am a first one, I am a last one, and besides me, there is no God. What does that mean? complex. We're talking about the creator of the universe speaking here. Now, speaking of redeemer and speaking of uh, the first and the last, go with me to the book of Job, Job 19, and I'm just going to touch this verse. Job 19, verse 25. Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, this is the English translation. You ready? Your English translation is going to be all over the place. Again, it's not because your translator didn't know English or Hebrew. It's because it was strange. I know that my Redeemer lives. And let me look at the Hebrew. And I know that my Redeemer lives, and a last one, upon the dust, he will arise. Job 19.25 I know that my Redeemer lives, and a last one, upon the dust, he will arise. And then it gets real strange. While I'm still in my flesh, though it be after my skin is torn from my body, I will see God. Very strange. We might tackle that in another class. But here we've got all these references to Jehovah saying, I am a first one, and I am a last one, and a first one to Zion, and a last one will arise. What are we talking about? What does that have to do with the gospel of Isaiah? All of these tie together. Look with me at Isaiah 48, Isaiah 48 and verse 12. I'm going to read the section between the spaces, Isaiah 48, 12 through 16. Hearken to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Uh, We'll look at that in just a second. My hand also has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them has declared these things? He whom Jehovah loves, he will do his pleasure on Babel, Babel. 
and his arms shall be on the kastim. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him. I have brought him, and he shall succeed in his way. Come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that she was, there have I been. And now Adonai Jehovah and his spirit has sent me. Now, how many of you have read that and ever taken a second to consider? Who's speaking? This is a fascinating text, and it's full of complexity. I am a first one. Also, I am a last one. These are the words of Jehovah. You, do you get that? I know I'm covering a lot of ground. Jehovah says, I am a first one. Also, I am a last one. Then the speaker goes on to identify himself as the creator. But then, mysteriously, listen to this last verse again. Uh, And now Adonai Jehovah sent me and his spirit. Hmm. Isaiah's writings contain an ancient gospel message, the good news, a message that is to be brought forward by one who is known as a harbinger or a bringer of the message of particularly the good news. And these texts that we went through today, I covered a lot of ground. These texts today describe one or ones who are going to bring that news. The question is, what precisely is the content of that message? We got a piece of it. Thy God reigns. But the one, the first one to Zion... And who is the first one to Zion? And who is the last one? Who are the last ones to Zion? Who is the last one who will arise upon the dust that Job mentions? Who is the Redeemer? But what is the message? The message that is to be declared from Al-Har Gaboah, from the mountain. How many of you have heard, Go tell it on the mountain. I have a better question. What precisely is to be said from that mountain? What is to be spoken al-har gaboah? What specifically is the message of the bearer of good tidings? What is the gospel message of Isaiah? For that. You've got to join me next Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. Central Time where we're going to get into the gospel message of Isaiah. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuotov.